You're listening to a sermon preached at Meridian Church. For more information about Meridian Church, visit meridianchurch.com. It is our hope that this sermon is used by the Holy Spirit to minister to you the grace and peace found in Jesus Christ to the glory of God the Father. And now, here's your sermon audio. Good morning. It is both exciting and humbling to stand before you this morning to look into God's Word. If you would, turn with me to the book of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Our focus this morning will be on verses 24 through 33. And we will read beginning in verse 16. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 16. I repeat, let no one think me foolish, but even if you do accept me as a fool, say that I do, that I too may boast a little. What I am saying with this boastful confidence, I would say not as the Lord would be, would, but as a fool. Since many boast according to the flesh, I too will boast. For you gladly bear with fools, being wise yourselves, for if you bear it, if some, someone makes slaves of you, or devours you, or takes advantage of you, or puts on airs, or strikes you in the face, to my shame I must say, we, are, we, we were too weak for that. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A, a, a night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches." Who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is made to, who is made to fall? And, and I am not indignant. If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, He who is blessed forever knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall and escaped his hands. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for uh, this day, this opportunity to gather. Father and Lord, uh, just uh, your passage, Lord, uh, this morning is just a reminder, Father, that Lord, not everything is going to go according to our own plans, but is going to go according to your plans. And Lord, we just thank you so much for your word. Father, we, we uh, ask for forgiveness, Father, when we doubt you. Uh, Father, Lord, when we 
throw up our hands in, 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 in uh, desperation, Father, Lord, and not truly trust in all that you do for us, Father, Lord. Just again, just thank you for your word, and thank you for, uh, and thank you for your son. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. From reading the passage this morning, one could, one could argue that at the time Paul wrote this, he was not having his best life now. At least not from a worldly or prosperity gospel perspective, which I realize is being redundant. In fact, from that perspective, Paul's best life happened before his dramatic conversion on the road to Damascus that we read about in Acts chapter 9. He had it pretty good before then, before he had that encounter with Christ on that road. He uh, was going around arresting and having Christians killed. Uh, he, had his, he had his fellow uh, Pharisees supporting uh, what he was doing, which uh, afforded him a life of little resistance. Even though he was present when Stephen gave one of the greatest sermons outside of Jesus in all of Scripture, it did not move him. And he still wanted to arrest and kill Christians until that uh, event on the road to Damascus. All of the struggles that are mentioned in this passage this morning happened after God saved him, not before. Paul bore on his body and his mind the cost of serving Christ. Not only can we assume that from this passage, but he mentions literal scars when he speaks of bearing the marks of Jesus in Galatians 6, 17. But through it all, though, I'm sure Paul would tell us it was worth it. Which we will talk about in detail a little bit later on. But let's remember this. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and to, <clears throat> and, and to enjoy Him forever. Paul's life on the, on the road, before the road to Damascus was not glorifying God, even though Paul might have thought that it was. Glorifying God can come at a high cost. Church history tells us all the apostles died a martyr's death with the exception of John who died a prisoner. We have brothers and sisters today in other parts of the world who are living this out themselves. We may be getting attacked morally or legislatively in this country, but they are being... Uh, they are doing so suffering physically. But must scars just be physical? Of course not. They can come in many other ways, whether it be uh, mental or emotional or maybe even uh, spiritual. And I think there are three things that we can gather from this passage this morning. One is some scars are unavoidable. 
Two, some scars are unseen. And three, some scars are unifying. Let's first look at how some scars are unavoidable. I think we can safely assume that at least most adults, if not all the adults in this room, have some type of scar on their body. I have some here on my arm from a bicycle accident as a teenager that, that is a permanent souvenir of my time of living in the UK. I have a scar on my upper lip that I'm not 100% sure how I even got it. I think it was from football, and that's why I tell folks, because that's the most macho thing I can come up with. But really, those scars are just nearly impossible to avoid, especially if you do serve Christ. Paul had received lashes and had been beaten. These, star, these scars became a permanent part of his testimony. They are a powerful testimony if you bear the marks of serving Christ and continue to do so even after receiving those marks. Because, but God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him, even in the darkest of circumstances. Some may be familiar with the missionary Adoniram Judson. Author Henry G. Bosch tells the story of while Judson was in Burma, he was thrown into prison for 21 months, and for the rest of his life, he carried the ugly marks made by the chains and iron shackles which had cruelly bound him. Undaunted, he asked for permission to enter another province where he might resume preaching the gospel. The godless ruler denied his request, saying, My people are not fools enough to listen to anything a missionary might say, but I fear they might be impressed by your scars and turn to your religion. In lashes alone that Paul mentions here, he would have received a total of 195 lashes. And you did not want to ask Paul to be your traveling companion. He was shipwrecked three times. He was exposed to cold and hunger. But so not only were people beating him, but so was nature. He was a target of criminals, a target of Gentiles, and he was even a target of his own people. He was not safe in the city, and he was not safe in the wilderness. The same people who had, would have been his friends before he started on his journey to uh, Damascus uh, would, have, would, be, would now be his enemies. He always had a target on his back. However, what Paul went through after that conversion would not have been a surprise to him or God. He knew what he was uh, signing up for because after Paul was taken to Damascus, God sent Ananias to come uh, talk uh, to Paul. And, and God told Ananias in 9.16, he says, 
For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. Paul's suffering was not an anomaly. We have several examples of people who suffered in Scripture and outside of Scripture that God used for His glory. One of the first come to mind is Joseph in Genesis, whose maybe only offense was, was running his mouth a little bit more than he should have. But he was sold into slavery into Egypt by his jealous brothers. Joseph acknowledges this later after he becomes a ruler in the after becoming a ruler in Egypt, after enduring slavery, false accusations, and <coughs> prison for a crime he didn't commit. And when his brothers uh, came before him, they were scared to death of what he might do, uh, that he might seek out revenge against them. But he told them, As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. The apostles were beaten in acts for boldly proclaiming the name of Christ and putting the and putting the death of Christ on the Pharisees. Acts 5 40 through 42 tells us what happens when they stand before the council. <clears throat> and when they had called the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. <clears throat> These were the same men that had been cowering when Jesus was arrested and crucified, now they were glad to be getting their scars. <clears throat> Richard Wormbrand, who wrote Torture for Christ, once spoke to the U.S. Congress about his captivity in Eastern Europe uh, following the rise of communism, and he famously took off his shirt and showed them the scars on his body that, that he had received at the hand of being a prisoner for, uh, for his uh, belief in Christ. In Luke 9.23, when Jesus says, if anyone wants to come after him, they must what? Deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow him. The cross was a symbol of suffering. He was not looking for people who would go about their business as if nothing had happened. He was seeking those willing to obey His commandments, to serve one another, and suffer, perhaps even to die for His sake. And if we do somehow manage to go, uh, go along with, without getting any scars, then perhaps we should take a good look and a long look about why we don't have any. Maybe the question we should ask is this, if, if we is asking ourselves is, have we been compromising with the world too much? Maybe it's not for the sake of rocking the boat and trying to fit in while in the world that we do not have a bold witness. Maybe we don't want to stand for what is right in order to avoid just being put in, 
to avoid being put into an uncomfortable situation. I know the phrase thrown around a lot during my young years, younger years, you don't hear a whole lot now, is, uh, was called being, being known as a casual Christian. It was a person who, who lived like the world Monday through Saturday, but were always in church on Sunday, and were Christians only when it was convenient or advantageous. I ran across the story about King Arthur that says, when the knights of King Arthur's court returned from the field of battle, if they did not bear in their bodies some scar of battle, they were thrust forth by the king with the command, go get your scars. King Arthur knew if his men did not have battle scars, they were more than likely avoided the battle as much as possible. Perhaps that is true in our own walk. Are we without scars because we are afraid to get in battle? Next, let's talk about how some scars were unseen. People could have easily seen all the things that Paul was going through physically. But he confesses he also had anxiety and pressure in verse 28. Where he says, and apart from other things, there is daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. These are the scars that are unseen. I have to constantly remind myself when not to pass judgment on people too quickly that I just know in the here and now I don't know what happened in their past. We just, we, we just don't know what many people have gone through. We just know who they are now. For example, I'll use the Grays here. As far as I know, the Grays have always been a retired couple. <laughs> I have no idea. I know what they did beforehand, but I had no idea what it was like work shoulder to shoulder by Bob Gray. But, you know, but in my mind's eye, they are always a retired couple. You know, and I say, if I could point out to each one of you and say the same thing. I, you know, I know you how I know you because of the here and now. But you know, we tend to see people as only as we know them in the present or how we first knew them. That's why it is not a good idea in, in many situations for a preacher not to pastor a church he grew up in. Uh, when there are still many of those same people at that church. Why? They still see him as that little boy running around in the sanctuary and they may not give him the respect that he needs. And while things in a person's past may no, no longer be a, a problem, now that doesn't mean the scars of those experiences don't remain. <coughs> Have you ever said something that was really that you thought was totally innocent or say something in a joking fashion but upset someone and you really didn't know why? Maybe you think they were just been overly sensitive about something, but this may be the reason, but the reason may be is that you may be bringing back some type of unpleasant memory. 
I'm going to bear my soul here a little bit. Everyone in this room, with the obvious, with the obvious exception of my wife, has only known me as a married family man. For many years, though, before I met her when I was 28 years old, I battled rejection, loneliness, and asking myself and God what was wrong with me. And that day, I went all the way back to my preteen years. Even though I tried to hide it, it was still there. And to top it off, I had a bad stutter into my early 20s, which made things even worse. While I no longer struggle with those particular things, there are still some lingering effects that still have an impact on me from that time. First, for instance, I know that I make a terrible first impression. It takes me a while to warm up to people because it was a matter of trust. It took me a while to learn to trust people. I would much rather talk to a large group like this than I would a small group. It's the fact that God has led me down a career path that requires me to talk to people and requires me to build relationship proves that he does have a sense of humor. It does not come naturally to me. For Paul, it was not the physical scars that seemed to bother him as much as the emotional ones. In verse 28, he mentions anxiety and pressure concerning the church. Here we have a man that was one of the best the world has ever known in understanding the, the sovereignty of God, but those that were weak in the faith or made to stumble into sin still caused him immense emotional pain and caused him sleepless nights with worry. Having emotions that lead to reaction are not necessarily a bad thing. We are created in the image of God. Jesus showed anger at the money changers at the temple. He showed compassion toward the crowds that followed him, even though many may have been following him for the wrong reasons. He showed concern for his mother when he was hanging on the cross. He wept over Jerusalem. We can rest assured that we are not experiencing anything in our lives that no one else has. Perhaps that's one of the reasons God allows us to go through the things we do. So when the time comes, we can help someone else who is going through the same thing. The main reason to go through the things, for his, though, is for His glory, regardless of what it may cost us. That is why in verse 30, He speaks of boasting of His weaknesses. This boasting He speaks of in the Greek means praise. Uh, unlike the English word, it kind of has a connotation of pride with it. Um, but Paul glorifies and rejoices in his weaknesses. If we were to go on and to read into chapter 12, Paul goes uh, even deeper into this thought. He pleads with God to remove a thorn in the flesh in verse 7. There have been many theories of what this thorn was. 
some good and some bad and ridiculous, but was he, was he never, uh, you know, uh, one, first, you know, first one was, one of the main ones was he never fully recovered his sight after being blinded on the road to Damascus. And there are other passages that kind of, that, 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 that you can point to that, that support this. Uh, I've heard some people say that <coughs> for whatever reason, he, he had a, <coughs> he had a limp. And for someone who had to travel like he did, that would be very cumbersome. <coughs> Excuse me. Another theory says it was nothing physical at all, but the thorn was the Judaizers that would come in after he had left a church and contradict everything that he said, uh, causing confusion. Regardless, whatever it was, God chose not to remove this thorn in the flesh because as Paul figured out, he wouldn't become... He did this, this he would... God did this so he wouldn't become conceited. And the fact that God told him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. A couple of verses later, Paul writes, For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Lord, help us to be that. For I, when I'm weak, then I am strong. That is a hard saying. Because in our human nature, we don't want insults. We don't, we don't want the hardships. We don't want the persecution and the calamities. We want smooth sailing from the day we're born till the time we, till the, to the day of our death. Bosch, who I had mentioned earlier in a story about Judson, said this. Our peace must not be dependent on our surroundings. We are familiar with Solomon's wisdom. In Ecclesiastes 7.14, 7, he reminds us, In this day of prosperity, be joyful. And in the day of ad adversity, consider, God has made the one as well as the other. We may lose a battle personally, in our eyes, but God never does. Nothing is not within the reach of His power. God never looks on helplessly, and there's great comfort in that. God can use the most evil thing man can think of to bring about His desired end as the story of Joseph taught us. But so, we see how scars can be, can be physical. They also can be uh, emotional. There's something else, too, as far as can be, and that is unifying. Verses 32-33 says, At Damascus, the governor under King Eretus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me. But I was let down the basket through a window in his wall and escaped his hand. So we, while we... Paul... Is being lowered down his basket. It shows how a a humiliating way that he had to escape, and it served as an example of his weaknesses and his dependence on God. But it also showed how 
the persecution united those around him. Those men or people who lowered down that basket were also putting their own lives on the line. They would possibly, for just for the, for just for, for the sake of helping Paul, but you know, back then not only were the primary antagonists punished, but so were those that assisted them. In Acts 17, when Paul and, and Silas were in Thessalonica, the Jews were jealous of the impact Paul and Silas were making, so they formed a mob, mob to go kill them. Uh, but they couldn't find Paul and Silas. They, uh, they went over to the house of, of Jason, who, uh, who, where they had been staying, and they couldn't find him there. So they attacked the house. They took Jason. They dragged him before the council. And they charged him uh, some money and let, and let him go. But the thing that one key to remember is shared suffering and experiences can lead to unity. We even see this in the secular world. I have friends that now that I have nothing in common with other than the fact that we had a shared experience as living the lifestyle of a military child. But that experience makes us friends. You see this on sports teams. You see this where there is a traumatic experience in the workplace. But even greater than that are the shared experiences of living out the gospel. There may be people in the, this church that you are good friends with because of being a part of this church family. A church is a place where people from all different walks of life that may have never had crossed paths otherwise build a bond of service and love for one another as it brings glory to God. Enduring persecution together can be more unifying than a time of peace. It is said that the worldwide, that the worldwide church grows the most when it is under their attack, and church history seems to bear that out. Just a short time after the death and resurrection of Jesus, the Bible speaks how the disciples were in one Accord. Every example in Scripture uh, that is said or implied unity within the church, God was able to use them in a mighty way, and sometimes that unity is built through suffering. But God gives us a peace that surpasses all understanding, that guards our hearts and our minds, while, and while it may not be enjoyable at the time, God's grace will see us through. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about the unity of the church. He goes, uh, beginning in verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, all and through all and in all. But grace that was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. The Spirit, there's a lot to unpack there, but I will say this, the, the, 
John MacArthur says this about where he talks uh, about the unity. He says, The Spirit bestowed oneness of all true believers has created this bond of peace. This spiritual cord that surrounds us and makes us God's holy people together is the bond. That bond is love. You know, the, the thing to remember is when that Paul's talking about unity, these are the things that, that require that. Patience, bearing with one another, humility, gentleness. And we have to be careful that when we see something in another brother's or sister's life in an area that we don't struggle with, that we're not too harsh on them, recognize the fact that we may struggle in areas that they don't struggle with. Struggles are different for everyone. And, but the good news is, as we sang this morning, we are persecuted, but we're not abandoned. Christ promises that he would never leave us or forsake us. In the Great Commission, he promised us that he would be with us to the end of the age. When God saves us, it's not a ticket to a life of ease. It's quite the contrary. Jesus said the world will hate us because it hated him. But what a life it is when he is glorified, not for what we have done, but what he has done for us. I say this to, as in closing. Let's, let's love one another. Let's bear each other's burdens. And church, let's go get our scars. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. And Father, the fact that you are always with us. Father, regardless of all the things that we go through, Father, that you are always sovereign. You are always in control. And Father, and uh, it's regardless of how bad things seem to us, uh, Father, Lord, that we can take comfort in knowing that everything is going according to your plan. And uh, Father, if uh, we, we, pay, we lay our lives on the line for you, and Father, we just thank you so much for all that you've, you've done for us, things we have not deserved. Lord, we praise you this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon audio from Meridian Church. Please feel free to share this resource with others. We only ask that you do not alter the content in any way. Again, you can find more resources at meridianchurch.com.